Hi everyone. Good morning. Nice, nice to see you all. For those who don't know me, my name is Rob, the pastor or rector here in the church, and you're all really welcome to Holy Trinity, especially if you're visiting or guests. It's great to see you all. I really wanted to start my sermon on the Six Nations uh, conversation about the match, but I'm going to wait until England are beaten by France in a few hours, and then I'll talk about... <laughs> Oh my gosh. I actually did start with a Six Nations quiff, but um, I do actually want to start with a question to get us thinking as we begin a short sermon series over the next few weeks before we head into Advent. Do you have a Lent, sorry, It's, it's, I was very severely concussed as a child playing rugby, so, yeah. Anyway, Lent. As we look towards Lent, um, we're doing the short sermon series looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm going to get to that in a few moments. But I'd like to ask you a question to, to think about as I, I try and break open my section of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Do you have a, a place in the city or a place surrounding the city or in the countryside that is your go-to place that if you're feeling disconnected from God or you're feeling lonely or down or you want to even celebrate a place that you you love to go to uh, it could be Glendalough it could be on the top of Ticknock or it could be it could even be visiting a friend or it could be a good book or a, it could be something that you do to have that place of, of connection, a kind of a sacred space, if you like, uh, for yourself. I know for even for the teenagers, um, their sacred space could be like playing a really good game on the Xbox or something like that. Um, but I, I have a really special place that I love to go to, a place that is important to me and a place that I always connect with God or a place I find that I really am able to talk with God or speak with myself and unwind, or unwrap, just kind of distill my soul. And that's Dunleary. Uh, from a young age, I've always loved to go to the West Pier of Dunleary. That's the one that isn't all built up. But recently, I've stopped going. Um, I've, over the last few months, I just haven't, I don't know, I being very honest, I haven't felt the draw to go there, or I've almost felt bored with it, or I felt that I've done all that before, and I've kind of, in a way, um, excluded myself from, from that place. Anyway, I woke up yesterday morning, and it was a, kind of a slow morning in our house yesterday. Uh, Ethan had a, a rugby match, which he won against St. Mary's. Well done, Ethan. Um, he's not here, actually. He's, uh, he's there for the children's ministry. But I had a slow morning. Anyway, I decided to go to Dunleary. And to cut a long story short, I went down there, and I saw the most beautiful rainbow. I don't know if you saw, I think I saw on social media, a lot of people were posting rainbows uh, yesterday. Yesterday was a beautiful uh, day. One of those days in Dublin in particular that's rainy or showery and the clouds are grey, but the light, whatever's happening with the, the longitude of the light or what's happening, there's just beautiful rainbows. And I went down to Dunleary and saw this fantastic rainbow. And I just, I had a plan to kind of 
read over what I was to preach on. I had a plan to spend some time uh, just trying to do some sermon prep. As I say, to cut a long story short, I was just blown away by the majesty of God, by the simplicity of just seeing this rainbow against this dark sky. And it just drew me into that place of awe and wonder and appreciation of God's creation. And just almost straight away, after months of not being there, having this deep sense of connection. So it's up on Instagram. I shared it with you all. This beautiful rainbow. But it was a special time of connection. And I was reflecting on this. And the reason I tell the story is something personal for me. But also, I think Scripture can be like this as well. I think our interplay with Scripture and our, uh, we have go through seasons where we're loving it and we're reading it and we're engaging with it. Uh, and for other times we're not and we're struggling with it and we're not reading it. But then there's times that uh, there's aspects of Scripture which they burst forth like that rainbow. And we just find this deep connection into the person of God, the character of God, the grace of God. And we just are brought back to that place of what it's all about and why we, uh, why we live and who we are. And that's exactly what the Beatitudes are. You might have heard the Beatitudes many times. You might not have heard them for a long time. But like that rainbow, they're meant to just inspire us deeply about the character and the person of God, and even more importantly, how he, he views us. I've been reading a lot of books about the Beatitudes, reading uh, Scott Evans, The Beautiful Attitudes. He wrote a great book on it. I've been reading Brian Zand, uh, Beauty Will Save the World, and I've been reading Divine Conspiracies by Dallas Willard. But just briefly this morning, just want us to, to break open the Beatitudes and imagine ourselves standing looking at that rainbow, if you like, that, that connection, that place of invitation, and look at the Beatitudes afresh, um, invited in to kind of understand anew, or maybe for the first time, or not for a long time, this idea of how God sees us in the Beatitudes. And then over the next couple of weeks, we'll be looking at other aspects of the Sermon on the Mount. So I'd love you just to uh, listen to the Beatitudes. I'm going to read them this morning in a couple of translations, the NRSV, and then I'm going to read them from the message. But they're in Matthew uh, chapter 5, the beginning of uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is his ethical distillation of his teaching, but essentially his sermon as to what the Christian faith is all about. And he starts off with the Beatitudes, and I'm going to read it. Um, to us today. Excuse me while I put on Dillis' glasses. <laughs> Looking good, Dillis. <laughs> I can see this, but I can't see any of you now, you know. So. <laughs> so when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and teach them, and he said to them all, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and even persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, because you should rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now this section of Scripture is a sermon series in itself, and we could spend many weeks and months but to give you this encounter, if you like, of being on the pier, looking at the rainbow, this, this, this connection which I believe the Beatitudes want to have with us through the ministry of Jesus, there's a couple of things I'd just like to share with us today around the Beatitudes and why they are so important and why we need to constantly revisit them and, even more importantly, live them out. There's two things going on here uh, in the Beatitudes, two um, important aspects. One is, and I won't talk too much about this because we don't have the, th the time, but one of them is, is a very much a, a, a theological uh, understanding of who God is. You see, um, for the Jewish reader who is listening to this, um, as Jesus went up a mountain, and he uh, told and taught uh, the Beatitudes, there's ten of them, uh, nine declarations around blessedness and then the call to rejoice, ten. They would have been thinking of someone else who walked up another mountain, and that was Moses. He walked up Mount Sinai and he delivered the ten commandments. And so as the listeners, they weren't just Jewish, but there was, would have been a lot of people from Galilee because that was the section into which this section of Scripture is set, as Jesus went up the mountain, and Matthew is very keen to tell us that it's up a mountain that Jesus told the Beatitudes, what's really happening here on a high level is that Jesus is reframing. He's not eradicating the Ten Commandments far from it, but he's reframing, he's rebuilding, and in a way he's restoring um, the understanding of who God is. And it's through the Beatitudes let me just, I, I came across this, which was written by a commentator about this reframing and why the Beatitudes are important in relation to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments given to Moses on Mount Sinai and the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, they relate to a series of thou shalt not phrases, things you must avoid in daily life on earth. Now, rules are important because who has ever tried to play a soccer match without sidelines and a referee? It's not easy. So rules are important. But in contrast, Jesus is now reframing the understanding of who God is in the Beatitudes. It's given on another mountain, and Jesus is building on the Old Testament where he's inviting you into a new place of intimacy, of presence, of understanding, of humility, of charity, of brotherly and sisterly love. He is now teaching transformation of the inner self as opposed to conditioning of the outer self through rules. Jesus presents the Beatitudes now in a new sense where virtues in life must lead to love, which has to become the motivation of the new understanding of God in the understanding of what it means to be a Christian. 
And so this was really radical for the people of the time who would have understood the Ten Commandments. They would have understood that thou shalt not, thou shalt not, and done their best to live that out. But now Jesus is taking it to a whole other level, a deeper level of intimacy. And what he's doing here is he's speaking to the humanity of the people. He's not just dealing with a high-level understanding of God. He's speaking about very real things like persecution, like mourning, like being poor in spirit, what it means to live out of faith when you're really struggling, what it means to feel destitute, what it means to feel hungry, what it means to feel in that place when you need comfort. And so he's beginning to reframe God in in almost not a distant up-the-mountain God that only Moses can get to, He's actually going up the mountain with the people, and it says they all joined him, and he's saying in a very basic way, theologically, but more importantly, pastorally, I know you, and I know the things that you go through, and I meet you in those places. And so that's a very high level of of what is happening in the Beatitudes, this idea of who God is, a God of intimacy, not separation. And I want to just leave that with you there because over the next couple of weeks, the two Scots will be looking at how that intimacy becomes a reality in in our lives as we look at the high-level aspects of the Sermon on the Mount. But I want to speak now and and talk more about the the second aspect of, of what the Beatitudes are about, and that is how they personally interact with your lives, or at least how they should. I remember speaking with a friend of mine who's since deceased, a wonderful minister in the Church of of Ireland, Jack Heaslop, and he unfortunately died of motor neurons a few years ago, and he was an incredible man, but I remember speaking to him about the Beatitudes, and he reminded me, he said, Rob, the, 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 the true definition of the word blessed in Matthew 5, 1 to 12 isn't actually blessed. The Greek word is karios, if you want to know that, and it basically means not blessed, but congratulations. Congratulations. It's, a, it's meant to be a blissful state where you're free from cares and worries. It's the phrase that's used in a Jewish wedding when a couple get married, when they become blissful and free from cares and worries in life. And hopefully that's the case anyway. <laughs> but this idea of congratulations, I want to reread the Beatitudes using the word congratulations. And I want to reread them now in the message translation. And I want you to hear them as if God is speaking to you in your context right now, wherever you're at, so that you begin to understand this intimacy this relationship that is reframing in the ministry of Jesus how he sees us, how God sees us. So this is Matthew 5, 1 to 12, using congratulations and the message, message interpretation. Congratulations when you feel you're at the end of your rope. Because with less of you, there's always more of God. Congratulations when you feel that you've lost someone who's so dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one who is most dear to you. Congratulations when you're content with just who you are 
how God sees you, no more and no less. That's the moment you find yourself. That's the moment you're not driven by insecurity. Congratulations when you've worked up a good appetite for God. Because he's food and drink. He's the best meal you'll ever eat. Congratulations when you care for the least among you. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. Congratulations when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the inside world in your own life. Congratulations when you show people how to cooperate instead of fight. That's when you discover who you really are and you belong to a family. Congratulations when your commitment to God even provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. So clap hands, applaud each other, celebrate and give a cheer because many have gone through what you are going through now and God is with you. Wow, what a very different reading of the Beatitudes from what I read from the NRSV. And Eugene Peterson gives a great commentary on that in his translation, which is this idea of the, uh, the congratulations that we receive. But it seems a bit strange, doesn't it? It seems a bit weird that we're congratulated when we're in this state. That, uh, as the NRSV says, we're blessed when we're in this state. How, how is that? That is totally different to the message of the world. You see, the whole of the message of the Sermon on the Mount, it starts with the Beatitudes, but it finishes with this beautiful metaphor of what the church should be. It finishes with this metaphor that the church should be a refuge from the storm. The church should be a place, as Brian Zahn talks about in his book in his last chapter, a shelter from the storm. And the whole of Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, he starts off with this understanding of that, I, I realize the brokenness and I'm with you in that. Come and walk the mountain with me and let me minister to you in that brokenness. But more than that, let me, let me show my joy in your life. And that finishes with this idea of the church should be a shelter from the storm. And all of these things here I've mentioned, mourning, persecution, brokenness, everyone goes through them in some shape or form. And the church should be the place where all of those people, all of us, are invited in to receive shelter from the storm. But it's ridiculous and hard to understand, though, that in the midst of these things, in the midst of this list, this litany of, of trouble, that we are blessed and that we're congratulated. I've, I've seen this in my own life, this idea of God and the human condition colliding. I've seen it um, when my brother Graham uh, passed away a year or so ago and in the midst of his own struggle with death, yet manifesting joy and saying to me, I almost feel blessed in my transition. I've seen it in India recently, in the faces and the lives of the people and teachers and doctors who are suffering with huge disease and massive poverty, but yet they feel blessed in their situation as they feel so close to God. 
And so we see this dynamic of joy coming out of suffering. It's the opposite of the world. It's, it's very different to what the world promotes, which is be strong, be brave, put on a front which makes you successful. And success isn't a bad thing. But Jesus is building a theology now out of brokenness. He's building a kingdom out of suffering, and from that comes joy. You see, most of those who heard this sermon, one commentator said this, they were spiritual zeros. They had no charisma. They had no religious glitter or clout. They didn't read their Bible or even know it. They didn't know the law, but yet they knew in real ways the presence of God in the midst of huge challenge. And in this, they felt the touch of Jesus. You see, Matthew 5 is a continuation, obviously, of Matthew 4. And Matthew 4 is a highlight of the ministry of Jesus where he healed, he fed the, the, the poor, he ministered to people. And so they had seen him act in very real ways in their lives. And they followed him up the mountain. And then he taught them. You see, Christianity works better when it's about showing people God's love and then telling them why. Not telling them and then showing them. The model of Jesus is show and tell, not tell and show. And so these people in their brokenness, in their, their lack of understanding, Jesus poured out this grace on the mountain and said, congratulations when you feel like that. Not because your condition or state is good, it's not, but that in those moments you've chosen me, you've chosen to open yourself up to a fresh understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. In the realities of the people's suffering, the Beatitudes moved from being an academic teaching to being totally practical and having real meaning to those who are living it out. And this is the definition of what the church should be. Showing the real love of God to people and then telling them as to why Jesus died for them and now lives for them. And so the Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes, with a reframing of who God is in this idea of a God who loves and cares and does access. But more importantly, it's an invitation for a new church, a new group of people who are invited out of the storm into that place of relationship with God. And so, to finish, Dallas Willard says this, and then I'm going to pray for us as we think of our own lives and those conditions in our own lives where Jesus invites us up to the mountain to learn and grow from him. In the Beatitudes, it's important to realize that sickness and mourning and brokenness and persecution are not conditions pleasing to God. But what the challenge is for you is how do you learn in such conditions? This isn't academic, it's very real, it's very tough, and most of it is about letting go to God. The Beatitudes seem to make no sense that we are blessed in such conditions. So other Bible translations or teachers have actually changed the understanding of them. But we must remember that Jesus did not say, blessed are the poor in spirit because they are poor in spirit. He did not think what a fine thing it is to be destitute or to be broken or to be lonely. What sort of God would that be? Rather, 
those poor in spirit are called blessed by Jesus, not because they are in a praiseworthy condition, but because precisely in spite of and in the midst of terrible conditions in the context of a loving community, through vulnerability, through trusting, through teaching, but most of all letting go, the new rule of heaven has moved upon them through and in a new rule which is now called the grace of God. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look more of that grace and what that means and how we apply that in our own lives. And the invitation is for you to travel up the mountain and be a climbing companion with Jesus as we look forward into Lent, not Advent. So let's take a moment of prayer and invite the guys back up who will close at our time. Well, I'd like us to think of um, some of those states of... Some of us are mourning. Some of us feel poor in spirit. A lot of us feel poor in spirit, I know. I felt like that myself before I went out to Dunleary. I, I felt very far from God. Some of us feel persecuted. Some of us feel hungry, thirsty. I don't, I don't know, but we all feel in different ways that we're feeling disconnected to God, but actually God wants to connect with us. So let me just pray for us, and then we will close out our time with some song worship. As you listen to the Beatitudes, remember they are not instructions on how to be religious, how to be Jewish or even Christian. They are bigger than that, although Christianity is the foundation of it all. Jesus' instructions for you as you listen to them are on how to be fully human. Jesus is revealing to the human race the narrow way that leads to true life, an inclusive life of love, of grace, of fellowship, a shelter from the storm. Jesus is trying to teach you a counterintuitive way, a way of God that is truly livable in the world. Father, I pray that we will put the Beatitudes into practice in our church and in our lives. And I pray for a few moments before Gina closes out our service that we will reflect on our own relationship with you. However that is, that's between us and you. So spend a moment reflecting and listening and allowing God to bless you, to reach out to you. And then Gina will close out our time.